I can hear you very well, Greg. There it is. No, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this. We we need to go through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain, away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that the um, that this that this phenomenon is um, comes from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information, and the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit a domain that's also pure information. Are we uh, all conditioned here? interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso. Well, that's all the break time I get. It's Radio Mysterioso here again. I guess we're in sort of a uh, period where um, I'm actually doing some interviews. And one of the interviews that I've been waiting for for a couple of, well, about a month, I think we planned this was for Massimo Teodorani to come back, Dr. Massimo. And, um, Thank you. Hi. Um, should I do an intro? I, I did like three-sentence intro. I'll do the intro, and then I'll do one for Susan, too, because Susan's with us as well, Susan Demeter St. Clair, who's also been a guest at least once. Hey. Uh, maybe more than once. Uh, more do- than once. Yeah, more than once. Yes, of course, because once was uh, for um, reframing the debate and once uh, on your own. Uh, when we were in the bar in Toronto with Robert. Yeah, and then I think I did another one as well, just on my own. That's right. I think I've done three. Yeah. Yeah, you're getting... Uh, <laughs> you're you're like in the right running. Now. Yeah, you're in the running for uh, mo- most appearances. I don't know who the most is right now. It might be Chris <laughs> O'Brien going back like 15 years. <laughs> Dr. Massimo Teodorani is an astrophysicist who uses his scientific expertise to imagine, imagine, take two, to examine issues of consciousness and and its relation to the physical universe, as well as the implications of the observed properties of anomalous light phenomena, such as the Hestalen lights. 
to the search for ways to create stable plasma states such as those found in fusion reactor research. Tell me if I'm saying anything wrong here, um, Maasumo. He's involved in uh, ongoing research about eruptive stars, extrasolar planets, and SETI, search for extraterrestrial intelligence, but not in the way you think. Yeah, not in the way you think, and lectures regularly at the University of Bologna. And I actually spoke to him last. I looked this up, uh, Massimo. It was uh, November of 2018, so almost exactly a year ago. Yeah. Also with us is Susan, Demeter St. Clair. And Susan, stop me if I say anything wrong here, because this was off the top of my head. Is a researcher and theorist dealing with issues of science and consciousness in regards to paranormal issues. I say issues a lot. She's been actively studying and writing about these subjects for many years and impressed me personally early on with her breadth of knowledge and willingness to examine little-known but important connections between various phenomena and the human mind and to apply them in research projects. And she recently moved to Italy from her native country of Canada. And um, she and uh, Massimo, Dr. Tedorani, were recently married, people, people should know. Oh, yeah. So congratulations. What was that, about a month ago? Thank you. Yeah, it was a month ago on the uh, fall equinox. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and No, you said everything. Yeah, like it sounded real good. Like you made me sound really good too. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to talk about uh, your mutual interest in how you met or do you want to just go on to other stuff? Okay, sure. Um yeah, no, I, I, I do Massimo's work oh, going back 20 years, um, particularly his work in Norway and on the Hestalin lights and, uh, and also through a mutual friend of ours who has been studying sort of spook lights on Lake Ontario. Um, but it was like a series of synchronicities uh, that sort of brought us together in 2013 when I was doing a book project with uh, Dr. Eric Ouellette, and I was specifically looking for Jacques Vallée. And I think, I think I've told you this story before. Uh, and I think you I've have, but I'm not sure the- if you told it on the show. So, Yeah, yeah. No, I was doing a, a series of experiments in which I was sort of chasing down Dr. Jacques Vallée in the hopes of um, him having a look at the book manuscript because it was something that was very important. Um, to myself and Dr. Willette at the time to see if if Jacques could, you know, give us some insight into our book and what we were doing. Um, And so I started doing a series of magical experiments uh, based on Dean Radin's sort of uh, uh, experiences with synchronicity. I had seen a YouTube and to make a long story short, I started doing these uh, sort of visualizations with Jacques Vallée's image and uh, through a series of synchronicities, it just happened that Massimo was with Jacques in Paris uh, <laughs> doing a, a conference. And and so that sort of brought me into sort of Massimo's sphere at that point in time with sort of this, this strange sort of synchronicity with this experiment I was trying to do with Jacques Vallée. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in sort of, it sort of, you know, love blossomed from there. <laughs> So, so you know, the, I kind of uh, can credit the UFOs with that. I think. I met so many. It's very, huh? it's very fascinating. It's very fascinating the, how this story began. Our story, I mean. Mm-hmm. Did you want to describe it from your point of view? Well, uh, I was. Um, everything started with our friend, who doesn't like to be. 
quoted. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't like that we speak. We tell her name, so mm-hmm. I will respect her will, of course. Of course. And uh, uh, yes, I was in Canada in ten years ago, making a monitoring of the area. This woman is very um, competent. Is very skilled in using instrumentation. We have different ideas regarding the interpretation of the nature of the phenomenon, mm-hmm. but uh, it was a pleasure to work uh, with her, and she was very kind. She brought me to 10 different places in the area, um, around Ontario, including Niagara-on-the-Lake, for instance, or Simcoe Lake. It was, um, I was astonished by the Canadian uh, landscape. We saw something uh, in 2009, but strangely, that thing came out just when we packed our instruments inside the car. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's, a, it's a classic. It's a classic. And she had uh, spoken to me about Susan, and she told that this woman is a genius. She knows a lot. She has a great intelligence. And I was very fascinated. When uh, um, sometime in uh, when there was a big congress in Paris in 2015 or 14, I don't remember at the Knesset in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, my friend, our mutual friend, asked me a um, collection of uh, abstracts of all the talks there, and uh, just to send to Susan. So I sent to Susan. At some point, I was very curious about Susan, and I went. Um, to pick in uh, Facebook, and I asked her friendship. From that time on, she was um, my best, my very best friend. Uh, I think there is something, uh, how to say, something that is uh, beyond this earth that uh, link people who have, in some way, I don't say experienced, but in some kind, in some cases, experienced the area of a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But uh, something that link these people, including me, uh, including Susan and other persons, it seems that internet helped uh, every one of us to meet each other, to share our studies, our experiences, and and so on. And it's uh, it's an honor for me to have known Susan and our mutual friend and other friends, which I thank very much for involvement uh, of me inside uh, this research from from my point of view, of course, which is uh, about physics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was talking with Susan uh, last week, and there's a a, um, sort of a dichotomy to me between a physical, scientific, data-driven approach to the subject and a more, I don't know if you'd call it a consciousness, synchronistic, uh, humanities-type approach. And Mm -hmm. um, I think both need to work together, although most people, a lot of people fall in one camp or the other. There seem to be, you know, scientists, if they're interested at all, that say, you know, we must use um, uh, the tools of science and and data collection, uh, instrumentation, and repeatability—repeatability repeatability to do this—and then there's others, yes. others that say we, we, you know, all we have to do is, you know, um, signal the aliens and they talk to us. And I think there's some place right down the middle of that somewhere, just like a human mind is—a right and left brain. 
to enable us to understand this. And it seems like both of you have been um, looking at this for, uh, from your perspectives for a while. But you both agree that uh, I think that uh, both approaches need to be used equally and somehow melded together. What would you say yes. about that? Well, uh, you are right. You're right. And I know. Uh, I know this very well because I've been working for I would say 20, 20 I would say 27 years um, trying to apply the astro astronomy like methods uh, using uh, measuring instruments to try to monitor the phenomenon and to measure it in recurrence areas like as Dahlen for instance but not only as Dahlen but also other areas Mm -hmm. And this partially works because we got some data, but uh, strangely, it always happens, very often happens that uh, uh, the best uh, sightings, uh, uh, visual sightings occur when all our instruments are inside the car. So this is, makes me think that, um, that witness the Human, I would say, I don't know, mental consciousness is uh, a fundamental element to um, trigger the phenomenon. Everything, in my opinion, is in reality starting inside our mind, inside our consciousness. And there is something strange that comes out, uh, uh, something like, like if uh, I think about the Aladdin lamp, uh, uh, the magic lamp in which, uh, you know, the magus comes out from the lamp all of a sudden mm, when Aladdin, you touch yeah. it. It's that. And uh, <laughs> uh, the point is that uh, uh, we have, uh, um, it, it is a, not an epistemological approach that we uh, have to use after a long experience, uh, um, which I had in this field, but it might be an ontological approach hmm. in the sense that you have to live uh, inside the phenomenon. You cannot observe the phenomenon from far away. You can, you can do that, but you can measure only some things, some, something. But if you want to trigger something very big in the phenomenon, you have to live yourself, uh, um, how to say, uh, float on the waves. Uh, how to say, metaphorically, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe like a shaman in that way. But the point is, it's a problem, because how can you measure the data if you are completely out, if you are completely living an, an experience that then becomes only intimate? We have to share this scientifically using uh, instruments. So we needed to find out a compromise uh, maybe to use some kind of human antenna which attracts the phenomenon and some observer that is behind uh, all uh, that which uh, is happening. It's a very hard task and it, it, it sent me in crisis many times, I, I, if I must be honest. Yeah, because you're fighting your training that says that the observer can't be part of the data, yeah. I think. And, that, and if you're looking Absolutely. at this, it's you, you, as you say, you're right in the middle of it. You, you, you are part of the data. Otherwise, the data, the data makes no sense without the observer in, included in it, seemingly. Yes, there is a, 
sometimes I have a feeling that there is a big risk to become completely mad mm -hmm. in these uh, kind of situations because um, data collection is something that demands a high precision, high rigor, and uh, that's what we did, uh, okay? But uh, in, uh, there were um, the most uh, astonishing um, sightings that we had where when we didn't have instruments and uh, um, we had always instruments. For instance, I was in Stalin and we saw a triangular thing in the sky once and after a few days, a little thing in the wood. And we didn't have instruments at that time. It happened only when we didn't have instruments. <laughs> Another time I was in some central Italy in some 350 kilometers south of here. And it was full daytime uh, with a colleague and um, our instruments were inside the trunk of the car. It was mm, more, uh, lunchtime and we saw this uh, little ball that was uh, climbing uh, uh, diagonally the mountain and we, we could only see that there was no instrument that could be available. So there is a problem here. We have to find out a compromise between uh, an ontological aspect uh, to the UFO phenomenon, which could be like something like a shaman-like. Mm -hmm. By the way, I saw the beautiful documentary by uh, the Argentinian Alan uh, that uh, you interviewed in uh, the last interview. I was astonished by that. We yeah, must we can talk about compromise. that. We, we, we have to find a compromise between that approach and the scientific control. So I guess that there is uh, two kinds of persons that uh, work. One, people who are so-called, I would call the sensitive, conscious sensitive, clearly, and the scientist that tries to measure what comes out. Because it seems to me that phenomenon, in most of the cases, is born inside our mind. And something is uh, creates, um, I to say, something physical that comes out from there, like the magus coming out from the Aladdin lamp. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, sometimes I think about how the universe uh, was born, and the universe was born from the void, from nothing, and uh, from quantum fluctuations of the vacuum. All of a sudden, matter, space, time. Uh, came out. I think that the UFO phenomenon mimics what happened during the uh, birth of the universe, and uh, it, there is some mechanism that goes a lot against, uh, um, how to say, Cartesian science, mm -hmm. which and philosophy uh, of Cartesius, who, who was telling yeah. that uh, uh, you cannot mix mind with uh, with matter. But in this specific case, as well as in the cosmological case of the birth of the universe, it seems that mind is able to create. I have a theory, uh, or an hypothesis, not, a, not yet a theory, mm -hmm. on how mind could be stored inside the quantum vacuum and order the virtual particle in order to create not only the universe, but also events and some kind of intelligence, maybe some kind of intelligence that is uh, similar to the one hypothesized by uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée, might have uh, be able to control this process to create at will and to travel at will from a dimension to another. Clearly, this looks like much science fiction. I know, 
but uh, intimately I think I'm right and I'm now working on this side parallelly with uh, projects of um, uh, scientific measuring. So that's what I, I feel to tell you for now. Yeah, we we can't we can't put ourselves out of the equation. We can't the the subject and object are not separate. The observer and the observed, and it's exciting to me that people are talking about this now because I you know I I couldn't figure it out for years. I was you know you you think in this Cartesian way because that's what your senses tell you, that's what your schooling has taught you. That what's that's what um, the God uh, the the the, yes. the 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 the, um, the popular God of science has taught us, but. <clears throat> it's it's not exactly yes, it's, that uh, way. Our professional, in the case of UFOs, it's not exactly uh, that way, um, because um, sometimes I think about a metaphor. Uh, the metaphor is that sometimes there is a um, how to say an intersection of dimensions. Uh, I, I would put the metaphor of uh, physicist uh, Rudy Rucker about the fourth dimension which was a famous book uh, in which mm -hmm. he says if another dimension we are uh, we are, um, think of another dimension like a sphere which approach our dimensions which is three dimensional like a plane what would happen is that the intersection between a sphere and the plane would be a circle mm -hmm. in the beginning a, a dot then a larger and larger circle and then again a dot so this is a metaphor to say that uh, um, something happens physically, because clearly some physical effects happen, but the, what we see is not the sphere. We see only the circle. So if we are able, we are so brave to, uh, to see how the circle changes from the circle to the dot and, and to a dot again, Maybe we can reconstruct everything because we cannot measure other dimensions. We have not this power and this possibility. But in theoretical physics, we have a very powerful mathematical models that is able to uh, simulate other dimensions like uh, superstring theory, like the uh, multi um, uh, many world interpretation of Ygritte, uh, mm -hmm. uh, John Jr. We can reconstruct, if we put some data inside a model, the model can potentially reconstruct everything. Because I believe that if it is another dimension, and now I'm right straightly thinking about the documentary uh, of uh, uh, the Argentinian um, yeah, person. Witness of Another World. That one, sorry, yeah. I, I didn't remember the, the title. I, I appreciated very much the... The, um, uh, the, the director, he did a very good work, beautiful, and uh, it was authentic. It's, it's a non-conventional UFO documentary which shows how important is the intimate uh, uh, experience uh, of uh, this kind of these people, which I believe it's real. And I believe that something physical can come out from, from the mind. We can measure that physical thing with our instruments, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we have to consider <coughs> the witness. So an uh, interdisciplinary approach is absolutely necessary here, and that's probably the main reason why I felt attracted by Susan Demetrius Sinclair, because we are starting to attempt an interdisciplinary approach in, in so difficult subject. 
Yeah, um, Susan told me that you were uh, planning some projects together. Is there anything you can talk about? I think you just told me about the ideas behind them, but do you want to talk about the application of these ideas, or are you just um, uh, planning right now? Well, these are, these are still being, I'm sorry, Massimo, I shouldn't have interjected, but I was just going to say, are these, some of this stuff is still being formulated. Mm-hmm. Um, like we are, we are planning a book project in regards to spook lights. I did a lot of work myself in the field. Um, yeah. But as far as um, like trying to do a multidisciplinary approach that might be experimental and in the field as well. That, that's still in the sort of planning stages. And, and I think you know me as a magical person. I like to sort of keep that stuff. Yep. Friendly. That's why I asked. Sort of out of the public. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, I'm sorry I interjected that. Go on. No, no, go ahead, uh, <laughs> Susan. No, you go ahead. I'm, I'm enjoying well, listening. You know, I've and got this. No, that's okay. We're, we're we're all talking. You know, we're, we're oh, this is an equal yeah. conversation with everybody. It's fine. Anybody can cut in. Um, what uh, a question in my mind, actually. I don't I don't have it on my list of questions here because this is just a conversation. This show. There are certain uh, scenarios, especially when you're dealing with the paranormal, or I guess whatever you want to call the paranormal and UFOs, where it seems like if your expectations are part of the equation, that's what you're going to get, and it introduces noise. Because this stuff seems to happen, as you said, Massimo, when nobody's expecting it or the instruments aren't on or whatever. Yeah. And there's got to be some way to fool, to uh, get the observer out of the equation. Is, does, does that seem to make any sense? Before you start the experiment, where, whereby you know something can't be expected and it has to be, has to be not expected except in the in the framework of, of running an experiment or some research, you have to actually forget about what the point of the experiment or the research is to get any kind of results. Does that seem to make sense the way I'm describing it? Uh, well, absolutely. It makes sense, but at the same time is not, in my opinion, controllable. I don't uh, uh, so far find any way that is scientifically controllable. controllable. But at the same time, I don't know, maybe we will find out a way, but at the same time, I realize that if a, a so-called UFO phenomenon is not a possible natural phenomenon like a ball lightning or a Stalin-like or so, mm-hmm. which happens independently from the observer, uh, uh, a proper UFO phenomenon needs a witness to occur. So this is the point. I would like to make the, the, more, the experiment I would uh, like to carry out would be like uh, five years ago, uh, I was working with a group of scientists at the, at the um, so-called UFO data group, which was absolutely good I and mean, very competent scientists all together to make, uh, to, to install an automatic station that is able uh, using several measuring instruments, which uh, we have of course chosen and planned and so, uh, able to monitor independently from the observer whatever is happening in the sky. My test uh, would be not only to see if we can measure something, but to see if uh, in the arc of, I would say, five years, something is caught by the instruments. Because if nothing is caught, the theory of probability says that really nothing happens 
in the absence of a witness. Mm. And at that point, I would think that uh, human presence or maybe also animal presence is absolutely uh, necessary to trigger the phenomenon. So the witness is very important. We want to see if there is a phenomenon that is occurring independently from the witness. Because mm -hmm. if it doesn't happen, something is coming out from the mind of the, of the witness. It creates something, and clearly it's a paranormal phenomenon. And in this case, it would rule out everything about the ETH, so-called ETH theory, which I don't rule out, right? But uh, uh, if nothing happens in five years, when instruments have been monitoring for 24 hours a day, I start to think that this phenomenon happens only when there is a psyche, a psyche, one or more psyche, able to uh, attract or to create it. So there is something that has to do more with our mind than with uh, uh, Seti uh, aliens that are coming from here. I think it is another intelligence, but not what has been, um, how to say, sold uh, for <laughs> seven years uh, with a bunch of uh, books. Some were good, I admit, even from ETHR, because I, uh, I appreciate some of them, of yes. course. Yes. But uh, after a long time of studying and living some strange experiences when I was a child. I, can, I now, at uh, the age of 63, um, I'm up, um, going to, uh, towards a conclusion that says, no, they don't come from there. They come from inside us. And the inside of us is able to create matter, space, and time. Matter means particles. Yeah. Using the same creation mechanism with which the universe was born as a quantum fluctuation of the vacuum. It's the same mechanism. For instance, when I think about ball lightning, I was discussing with a physicist colleague and he was telling, oh, maybe ball lightning is a failed attempt to create universes. <laughs> and uh, it's a mini Big Bang that uh, like a soap bubble goes away. There is always an attempt to create that. And mind uh, must be something that is strictly connected with matter. This is what I think now. Mm -hmm. I, I, of course, I can be criticized by my colleagues. I don't care. Yeah, I can't criticize you because I've, I struggle just to understand some of your um, papers, like the one on, uh, which was uh, fascinating, um, about uh, information transfer with uh, quantum entanglement as a way to um, detect, as your, as your version of SETI, actually, or as someone's version of SETI, or a different one. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's a part, a part of it is my version, a part of it is a version of a um, very brilliant uh, quantum biophysicist, uh, Dr. Fred Teld, uh, which uh, triggered my, uh, my mind a lot because he thought that uh, quantum entanglement could create some, what we call some classical states mm -hmm. uh, through which it's possible to transfer information. If there is no classical state uh, within the normal physical world, you cannot transfer information between two particles, two minds in case, 
we, which we cannot demonstrate yet. You cannot transfer information because at the moment of observation with an instrument, you destroy the uh, so-called, you cause the collapse of the wave function and you yeah. get no information. Mm. But if quantum entanglement is able to trigger something, uh, for instance, if there is a, a neural cell uh, at Alpha Centauri in a laboratory mm -hmm. that is triggered, and if we assume that the universe um, uh, three, uh, four billion years ago was all entangled, entangled in a, only one uh, particle, we think that this entanglement has never, has left the track. Has le uh, yeah, it's still the there. It expands. exists forever. It's yeah. still there. So if you trigger something somewhere, uh, you can have a reaction on, a, on another place, like here. But if it is the brain, then it can trigger classical states inside the brain, normal physics. Mm -hmm. It could um, send coded messages in the brain, which we can effectively measure using specific algorithms that we are using normally in the normal safety project. So we can monitor the EEG um, track of the brain, the bioelectric uh, um, brain, and uh, after a, a series of mathematical procedures, we can go inside the noise of the brain, not the sinus or so, but the noise uh, to see if there is uh, some coded signal uh, that has been sent through entanglement, but uh, triggering a classical state mm -hmm. inside the brain. If, uh, if not, it wouldn't be possible to transfer information. Right. Okay. That makes more sense than when I read it in your paper, either that or you're, you're um, reiterating it. As you were describing this to me, I was thinking it's a natural way where the observer is not involved in the in the equation because it's just naturally the way that information would be transferred so th there you have your 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 way to do it without uh, involving the you know without having a pre predetermined um uh, outcome for the for, for for the observer or the experiment or whatever you're just trying to see if a mechanism works not what it might be or what um anything like that it's it's yeah. it's 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 inherent in the natural system that the observer um does not interfere with the with the quantum state until until it's observed, then when it's when it's observed, then it is um, then it is useful information, which is what you call the classical state. Am I understanding correctly? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correctly. You, if you don't have a classical state, you, uh, an observer would destroy the entanglement at the same moment in which he observe. So no information can be transferred. But uh, the the brain. Uh, the neural cells, the microtubules inside the brain mm -hmm. are something that are, let's say, classical in the sense that uh, they react electrically in, in several ways. Yeah. If it reacts to a trigger or something coming from elsewhere through entanglement, then it can create some signals inside the brain that uh, are out of the entanglement mechanism. The entanglement works only like the trigger of a pistol, mm -hmm. it, but not like a, a direct direct transfer of right. information. Cle clearly, if you have two particles and uh, they are uh, connected by a quantum entanglement, only those two particles can communicate, communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. But no observer 
can see what they are telling to each other. That's yeah. the problem. Without destroying that connection, yeah. Exactly. There is something like a defense, uh, uh, like a, of the privacy of the communication. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so. And uh, it's uh, analogically, I don't know if it works in the same way, is uh, like telepathy, for instance. Okay, people can get uh, uh, communicate telepathically, in, in non locally, it seems, mm -hmm. but only those two knows what they have told to each other and no one else. This is the problem that we cannot make a science of it. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, with the, the um, project of Dr. Tald, we can make a science and mm. so powerful uh, that um, it pissed off some of my colleagues. <laughs> because I remember <laughs> a lot, a lot. I, I was at the um, um, International Academy of Astronautics and I published some peer review papers about SETI because I've been involved in SETI in several aspects, standard SETI, mm -hmm. SETI-V and uh, similar. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything was accepted. But I dared, I dared to propose this project and the, uh, the, 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 the boss, who is also my friend, told, don't come, don't come, absolutely don't come to where, where was it in Paris, I think. Don't come to Paris because the commission judged negatively your project, um, the most part of the commission. Don't come, absolutely. So I saw them, uh, even if I support a lot the city project, uh, uh, absolutely, I support it. Uh, I, I understand that there is a lot of politics here. They, they are scared the shit uh, about <laughs> if we discover something, they are dead. And so I understand no, they, they will never have any uh, funding. In our project, alternative project, is feasible. That's mm -hmm. the point. And with a very little money, not more than $200,000. $200, Just to give an idea. Oh, I see. Uh, hence your uh, letter to Bigelow. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he will like me. Maybe Bigelow <laughs> likes more than <laughs> the idea of um, aliens coming from outer space. Well, I, I don't exclude that. I, I published several peer review papers on that possibility. But studying more deeply the UFO phenomenon, I convinced myself that UFO phenomenon has nothing, literally nothing. Uh, to do with any possible uh, extraterrestrial visitation from outer space. Mm -hmm. I would say it's something from inner space, but I don't stress too much this point because I, I could be uh, classified as a cuckoo or, or something <laughs> else. <laughs> but there is something, the point that there is a revolution that is about to the, must happen that will put uh, Cartesius, René Descartes, mm -hmm into the, uh, how to say it? The museum. Into the museum. It has been, he has been very important. Yes. Uh, Illuminism for science. But now it's time to change. Uh, there are some phenomena that are telling that uh, mind and matter communicate, interact with each other, and create each other. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's revolutionary. I have nothing to lose to tell this. Yeah. But uh, I... I tell this, yes? Yes, def definitely. That's why we're talking. And also when you were uh, speaking, uh, going through your uh, ideas here, I've 
remember that I'd referred to um, John Wheeler's uh, paper that he wrote, I think, very soon before he died, um, about what he called the anthro- anthropo- anthropic principle. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what this means. I referred to it in the that thing I wrote for um, reframing the debate. Um, but the point was that uh, it, he said that the um, he was dealing with the idea, and this is you know widespread in, in certain areas of academia and research right now, that uh, the uh, the observable universe is not made out of particles at its very basic at a very basic level. It's made out of information. And the reason that we see particles and have laws and all that stuff is because we observe it. They, in yes. essence, they are brought in. This is what you were. This is what you reminded me of. They are brought into. I mean, this is a very crude way to describe it, but um, matter is brought into existence as we see it by our interaction with the information, the potential information of that matter. Does that make sense? Y- y- yes. Uh, or is that too simplified? <laughs> No, no, it's okay. It's right. It's correct. Uh, and uh, I would say that uh, also when we make experiments with um, uh, accelerators in uh, nuclear uh, subnuclear physics, uh, there are mm-hmm. some particles that uh, uh, we can see, but we can see those particles only when we trigger them using collisions. Uh, for instance, uh, quarks of first generation, we can see them. But that's an act of observation. Yeah. If we don't observe, uh, observation means measuring, and measuring means also triggering, because uh, in this case you cause a collision of uh, two beams of particles at semi-relativistic uh, speed, uh, mm-hmm. which collide together, they break, and in the breaking, the more, the higher is the energy which is much beyond tera electron volt and the uh, um, older cosmologically are the particles that you you can uh, you can see and and so we uh, if we do nothing uh, we uh, nothing happens we can see the particles exactly but i think a classical physicist would argue that they're there anyway we're just it's like taking apart a car you're not going to see those parts until you you open up the car and start taking them apart but the the idea no. yeah the idea here is those particles it's almost like the you know the tree falling in the forest if nobody's there those particles are not even in existence till we decide to bring them into existence yes exactly that's what exactly happens with uh, with um, circular or linear accelerators, mm-hmm. but it happens uh, spontaneously anyway in cosmos with the cosmic rays because there are some um, very powerful, very energetic astronomical objects like quasars, for instance, which accelerate uh, a high, very high energy particles, but also supernovas and. Uh, hypernovas, neutron stars that are colliding, they produce naturally. They are natural accelerators. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we receive them spontaneously. But normally we wouldn't see them. We wouldn't. And there is also antimatter here because the universe was born in the beginning, matter and antimatter were perfectly balanced together, and the universe was something, a so-called radiation phase. It was made only of light. Matter and antimatter were uh, annihilating each other, 
And so there was only radiation, only energy. But then suddenly antimatter disappeared uh, for a reason that we don't know yet. And, uh, um, and apparently it's not anymore here. Instead, it's always here. Because if you go inside the nuclear reactions in the sun and the stars, you see that antimatter is produced in form of positrons, namely uh, positive electrons, at any zillionth of second. So there is uh, some ghost uh, that is present uh, inside our universe, but we are not able to see. Uh, but it's there. So there is something that is parallel to our reality, and physics can see that. Antimatter is one, one, one side, of mm-hmm. course. No, it's not all, the only one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, Susan told me, and I think you did too, that you wanted to talk well, about, and this is um, very selfish, but <laughs> you wanted to talk mm-hmm. about uh, a couple of the interviews recently that you liked, and one was, um, uh, as you said, was with Alan Stevelman. I think he's um, actually from Spain. Um, uh, for some I reason, I thought he was, he was Argentinian, but he lives in Spain, so I think he actually is Spanish, but he went to Argentina to do the film. I think he's of Spanish origin, uh, sorry, of Argentina origin. He says Buenos Aires, and he lives now in Spain. Oh, okay, okay. And, uh, do you want to know what I thought about this uh, film, this movie? Well, it was very touching. It was really very touching, very well made, and uh, intelligent, uh, and uh, highly respectful for this, uh, how to say, transformative experience of uh, this uh, uh, so nice uh, native guy. I don't remember his name. Juan, Juan, Juan Perez, which which no. Miguel pointed out, was like calling him John Smith. But yeah, Juan Perez, which is almost, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> almost yeah, another aspect, such a normal that. name. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I... I, I felt very, very, um, how to say, um, uh, surprised because uh, it speaks about the experience of a child in his very young age with, with who suddenly approach another reality who speaks about uh, a barrier which cannot be crossed, mm-hmm. who sees dead relatives on the other side and that made me think a lot because I am uh, um, not ashamed uh, to tell that when I was a child, I had a, um, similar um, experiences, mm-hmm. okay, which I, I was not able to explain to myself. And uh, it's something that comes from well, is born inside the mind, but the big mystery is the mind. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, um, it was a beautiful movie, and it was very uh, um, speaking about how to say uh, about love, about um, the necessity to uh, an invitation to people to uh, unite together uh, to um, abandon every hate and every war, um, because there is a bigger reality that uh, unites all of us, and probably. Our life is like the life of a worm who wants or tries to become a butterfly. And it's simply, as a scientist, this one is some kind of evolutionary process. I don't see this as a spiritual experience. I I don't understand what the word spiritual means. I'm not religious. I'm almost atheist. But yet I see that there might be an evolution 
in a, in a, in, in the life process, which is the same metaphorical and probably not even metaphorical between mm. the worm and the butterfly. So he was, uh, how to say, prepared to this new uh, way of being alive. And he wanted to try to tell us something. And I believe that something about that could be investigated uh, scientifically, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, and I, I also, I felt the same way. I, I was openly weeping by the end of the film. <laughs> um, and I can't wait to see it again. It was really beautiful. And I was very moved by, by Juan's story. Um, and certain things as well resonated within me, such as the, the barrier. Um, I had a, a, a dream with my aunt who had passed away that was somewhat similar to what he was describing um, when he was in the relaxed state and, uh, and the barrier and then seeing his grandfather in the village. Um, it, was, it was just so beautiful. And, uh, and it really made me think, and just now as... Um, Massimo was discussing about the butterfly and my mind immediately went to uh, Whitley Strieber and the moth and his sort of experiences um, since Anne has passed away and it's just I'm, I'm feeling emotional now just even thinking about it it's it's just it it seems to me that all of these experiences are intimately connected with the soul yes uh, yeah and and, uh, and I just um I agree. I felt I felt honored to watch the film to, to be too. part to be part of that sort of for those few minutes or those you know the seventy eight minutes of the film to be part of his one story. It was mm -hmm. that powerful. And for any of the <clears> listeners <throat> now, if you haven't yet seen it, go rent it, buy it. It's absolutely worthwhile. Absolutely. He, I can't wait to see what the filmmaker does next. Yeah. Well, he did yeah. say give a hint at the end of the. Uh, interview when I uh, asked Miguel to ask him in Spanish and have him answer in Spanish about what is uh, uh, any question. And Miguel asked him what he's going to do next. And he said he's doing something on ancient civilizations and uh, uh, um, under underground um, uh, what uh, structures around the world. Um, that That's what he said his next project is. And it was directly related to the comment by Plutarco, who's the Warani uh, elder uh, talking about uh, their their mythology of of uh, I don't know about gods but at least um, ancestors gods something that's uh, connected with them uh, on another plane coming from underground and you know I made the the analogy of the Hopi and and Navajo amongst others that say that the humans came from underneath the ground. So mm -hmm. um, the, the film, apparently, as he told it, had direct impact on what he, the film he's working on now. Um, and he's got Graham Hancock involved, I think. And uh, so that, that was fascinating. What was, um, I saw it at um, Contact in the Desert. Uh, they just happened mm -hmm. to be showing it. I don't know how they found out about him. Maybe, probably, I know what happened probably is, is Dr. Valet probably told them, you know, you ought to have this guy here to show this film. Um, there were mm -hmm. probably, I don't know, maybe... 50, 80 people in the room in a, a conference that was attended by, I think, f I don't know, four or 5,000 people. Um, so I think that some of the comments I've heard are, are people that our people are scared that it's so emotional. They say, well, this is not, 
you know, this is appealing to our emotions and it has nothing to do with any kind of data that we can get from this. And my argument with them was, well, this is part of the data. It's just not data that you think is, is, uh, can put, be put in columns and, and um, be plugged into uh, um, a database and to equations and, and analyzed in a way that you normally analyze data. But it is data. It's data that came from mm-hmm. this guy and it just happens to trigger emotions. Um, well, exactly. That, that, and that that's, in that's how I thought is, it was. Go ahead. Yeah. That in itself is data, like you said. It's, you know, it's, it's our emotional, it's because it's such a human experience. Um, and that's, I think, what people need to remember, you know, yeah. is, is the human being at the center is the witness of mm-hmm. these events. Maybe it's not, it's more, more better uh, described as information than data. Um, because when I talk to people, I may get facts from them, but I also get mm-hmm. their emotion. I get how they interact with me. I get how I can see, especially if I'm in front of them, I see how they react when I ask them a question. That's information. Um, mm-hmm. It's not information that I can put down in a, you know, in a scientific paper, but it's information that is useful to me in figuring out where that person's coming from or what they're really trying to tell me or whatever. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's what this film showed, was that that kind of information. And then Valet said at the end, he said, you know, people trying to figure out what's coming out of the government and what they have in their files is not the phenomenon. This is, this is the phenomenon, not, 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 uh, not something locked up in a, in a, uh, in a government file somewhere. Yeah, I agree. So that, that's what impressed me about it. Um, and, uh, and the fact that, you know, they did by putting the witness first. They also discovered things they would not have discovered if they just asked him some questions and ran away and did a did a film with a big flying saucer landing and and big beings with claws grabbing him. I mean that that was shown, but it was very indistinct. It was not a very it wasn't the focus of the film. It was just there for illustrative purposes. Mm-hmm. Whereas most UFO yeah. documentaries, that would have been the whole documentary: dramatic music and. And you know, over and over reenacting yeah. the, the 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 UFO landing or whatever. This one was yeah, just yeah. yeah. This weird thing happened to this guy. Um, this is what it might have looked like, but we're not going to be very literal about it. We're going to be. I think they were purposefully. I didn't ask Stevelman this, Alan, but um, I think they were purposely um, indistinct about it because they didn't want to lock people's minds into anything that, that, that they thought had happened and not really had happened to Juan, because I don't think he can describe it literally. Um, and he probably never tried yeah. to, because that's, that's not what's important to him. So. No, and I, and, I, and I agree, and I'm glad that they made the film the way they did, because it could have been very exploitative, which it was not, not at all. Um, and it really underscored the human, the human aspect, which is to me, the most important mm-hmm. in regards to the UFO phenomenon is the witness. You know, well, you know that. I mean, we've talked so much before about my perspective, but mm-hmm. uh, it was it, it was really wonderful to watch the film and watch the film with Massimo and get his sort of take on it as well. Plus, then afterwards, we we watched the um, there's a video of uh, Jacques Vallée's uh, presentation at Contact in the Desert, and I guess that happened just before after the the film was screened and that sort of was very interesting too. Yeah. It was the same day in the afternoon and the, the the film was screened in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting to see his presentation 
along with watching the film and then of course listening to you and Miguel speak with uh, with Alan and and getting the take on on how his feelings and some of the behind the scenes stuff too that was fascinating to me that of course he couldn't cover in the film at the time so um, a lot of really good discussion around the dinner table here <laughs> in uh, in Italy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything, Massimo, do you have anything else you want to add about the film from, from your perspective? Because you're coming from a slightly different perspective about it. But um, the, the film obviously affected you on a, on a deep level. Uh, well, very much. I would say, I, I, I wouldn't say the, the film is it, um, communicating some kind of information. I, I think the film is uh, triggering our inner uh, side, is provoking and uh, is inviting people all over the world to observe more themselves, to not be ashamed of what they live and tell to the others. Because if we all could be able to, uh, how to say, have the courage to observe to this uh, so-called reality, I believe that the world would be, would be much better because uh, Looking, it's like to look at a porthole and see a wonderful landscape outside. And wonderful landscape outside give a smile to everyone, even to those who are fighting. It's a message of peace. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, it triggers the the soul very much. It doesn't give too much information, but uh, some information is crucial because uh, always there is this barrier. There is these uh, indistinct shapes of the alleged beings, uh, which is very interesting because clearly what he sees is probably not what they are, but what he perceives uh, in the, with the lenses of his fantasy and with the lenses of the, uh, you know, um, contemporary technological culture. So we try to give a shape to something that we are not able to understand. Our computer in our mind is not able to reconstruct. So it needs archetypes that we already have in our mind. And so what is outside is not what it is really, mm -hmm. but it's what appears in our mind. So um, I, I want to stress anyway the importance, apart from the intimacy aspect of these uh, of these uh, studies or so, I. I'm still completely uh, confident on the fact that uh, we um, some electromagnetic radiation uh, phenomena uh, occur because we we have a confirmation from several witnesses and sometimes also from measurements. So if we measure the phenomenon, we might one day reconstruct everything so that the dot and the circles uh, can become the sphere. In the mm -hmm. sense, if attach the, this poor data apparently to uh, sophisticated mathematical models, which mm -hmm. we have, which we do have about other dimensions, so I am confident about that. And uh, my my work is uh, is uh, is an astrophysicist, so it's not that I have to behave in that way. It's that I want mm. to try to find an objective. Uh, a way to demonstrate that something is really happening. I don't know how now, 
but uh, but at the same time studying uh, very carefully the uh, I'm to say interior aspect of the phenomenon and uh, this demands an interdisciplinary approach uh, so physicist uh, psychologist uh, biologist uh, and, and something else and also like uh, the Susan uh, from which uh, from whom I learned I'm learning a lot trying to find out a way to trick the trickster uh, <laughs> yeah. in some way to try to use uh, to try to put in him inside the trap uh, using his own way of communicating his own way of mocking us uh, to try to put him inside the trap and uh, take measurements about that I don't know how now but um, I think it's possible because science is something that is uh, undiscussable and, and and so you can communicate as a certain fact to everyone. Mm-hmm. And if everyone, for instance, if, if everyone in this world have a demonstration that there is a life after death, independently from religious belief, it's not necessary to have God uh, for that. If there is an evolutionary pr- process, it would change completely our society. So science is extremely important in this thing, but mm-hmm. it's also uh, revolutionary. It's something very risky. You have to cross uh, um, lakes and uh, rivers full of uh, alligators, and uh, <laughs> you have to be able to survive. You know, I know, I know something about that. I got a lot of bites, but I'm still alive, <laughs> and. Uh, I enjoy, I enjoy a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's... And of course, I, I agree with Massimo that, that there is a physicality and that, that obviously that portion is measurable. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're talking about a different dimension that, you know, perhaps our senses normally cannot perceive, you know, but in, in my toolkit, I also, uh, as you know, incorporate art. Yeah. Uh, and music and different sorts of um, techniques in that sort of um, uh, attempt to provoke, invoke, and potentially measure eventually the phenomena. And I, I do have some strategies that I'm working on mm-hmm. that Massimo knows of. And, and I yeah. think we've discussed a little bit, but I'm at this point in time a little uncomfortable to try and discuss them until after after sort of no if you if you just yeah go. if you discuss them it it uh, starts to eat away at the purpose of doing it in the first place this is a uh, something i operate on too that yeah. i learned learned in uh, uh, uh builders of the ad item when i was in that it, which is an offshoot of golden yeah. dawn yeah um yeah and it, yeah. it's important and, it, and it's just a psychological thing too i mean if you talk about something enough if stuff comes out of your mouth the energy of it in your mind that you're doing your work on goes away because your mind just says okay it's mm-hmm. done because it came out your mouth so i yeah. agree um so, so it, it, even on a, a psychological level it's better to um unless somebody's working with you on a project to basically be be quiet about it until it's finished and it has nothing to do with being exclusive I totally agree. yeah no know, knowing something you don't or you know, it's not an ego thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very it's a it's no, just something not. to to totally increase agree. efficiency and uh, and efficacy of what you're doing. So, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah. yeah, so that that energy must be conserved. As you're talking about this, I see your 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 painting is right above my desk. <laughs> the, your your uh, nice. 
<laughs> and uh, and I lately, I guess maybe it's it's also because we're we're moving towards Samhain, and and it's it's that time of year. I'm I'm painting again. I'm feeling that call to to paint. Um, maybe it's the otherworldlies, the visitors, or what have you. But I'm just I'm feeling that urge to. And I was doodling actually earlier when mm-hmm. we were talking. I was mm-hmm. <laughs> I was uh, I was drawing the visitors. So who knows? Uh, well, if you want, um, send send me an image, and I can use it as the image for the interview. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> or maybe a picture of you on your uh, you guys on your porch or something like that. But it, it'd be nice to have the the doodle. It might actually it might actually trigger something. Who knows? Um, who knows? Putting sure. it, you know, having it up like that. Uh, v- the other th- uh, when Massimo was mentioning about um, uh, data collection and being uh, that science can look at this and, and it is a physical um, uh, phenomenon in, in a lot of ways, I completely agree. And w- as you were describing what you thought of the film, Massimo, I thought that what you saw in the film in some way affects how you think about it to do, you know, it, it, to to uh, yeah. poke at it physically because there's there's a, a intangible um, inspiration there and on how to go about yeah, things yeah, just because of the yeah so that's why I was saying it's information I mean it's uh, it's it, information it, that can be used yeah, I, I understand uh, you are telling uh, <clears throat> absolutely true and it's something like if uh, the um, feeling uh, there is a subliminal uh, force in this kind of movie uh, that uh, tune. It put tune your own mind, uh, your own subconscious, which in its turn uh, um, trigger your mind to make the research in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we have to open one more door, which doesn't mean that we have to become something else. Uh, science remains exactly the same. Instruments are used exactly in the same way. But we have to understand that there is a complication because here we are not observing only a phenomenon, but we are also observing who observed the phenomenon and who is living the phenomenon. So we need a more complex approach. And uh, it's very clear to me now, uh, clear, we need a strategic project, uh, which uh, the academic world must be willing to to carry out, because it's uh, shaping more and more the life of people also in a hidden uh, level i think that also people who didn't leave the phenomenon has been in a way affected by it mm-hmm. there is some kind of factor of con- confusion that is creating inside mind that is triggering st- triggering strange behavior in people maybe also worse this confusion this uh, uncertainty about the nature of reality is making uh, the hum- humankind uh, completely mad. So we have to create clarity and to organize a, a huge interdisciplinary project, which involves not physical scientists, psychologists, biologists, medical doctors, uh, even parapsychologists, and all of that. Sociology, and anthropology, fund. too. All of them to make a master plan of research where everyone has its own role. Because it's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not sufficient to do like we 
um, tried to do to um, raise funding for building up automated instrumentation for measuring the phenomenon. The phenomenon is something much bigger. We have to do that plus something else. And mm-hmm. I um, stress even more, like I said before, I don't know why, but I have a feeling that if we place uh, an automatic automatic instrumentation with uh, a lot of uh, instruments, uh, which takes data 24 hours a day, if there is no human being there, there will be nothing measured, uh, nothing, literally nothing except for meteors, shooting mm-hmm. stars, or probably as Dalian-like phenomena, or maybe not even them. So we have to see how the witness, the human uh, um, uh, nature, the human brain and consciousness is able to f- work like a lighthouse effect mm-hmm. to attract these things. And uh, it's so important. I, I would go even uh, further than that. What I would do is, um, I <laughs> yeah, I, I would build the station. I would not tell the technicians who are putting together the equipment the purpose. I would not tell the uh, the people in charge exactly where it was being placed. I would not even tell the person who was going to do the final analysis what they were, uh, where it's located or exactly what they're looking for. I, I would throw in all these different sort of um, little uh, abrupt sort of uh, twists and turns in the whole thing. I know it doesn't sound very scientific, but if you sort of, um, you want to trick it out and say, okay, I'm setting at the station to monitor weather or whatever, okay? But mm-hmm. if you if you you do these things and occasionally turn it off, turn it off without the technicians knowing that it's been turned off and then yeah. fire it back up. These are the little tricks that I think. And these are things that that have come out in parapsychology. OK, right, like right. the idea that, you know, as soon as you um, I think I've told this story to you before. Uh, I think it was on your show about a group of parapsychologists. One of them was a ufologist by the name of John Spencer. His wife, Ann Spencer, was a parapsychologist. To make a long story short, they were monitoring a house with a lot of um, poltergeist activity. Uh, They had a lot of scientific equipment, including cameras placed all over the house. They removed everyone from the house. Okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, and as soon as... So they come back, okay? After a few hours, they've sealed off the house. They know no one's been in this house. They come in. They find something, I think it was like a ceramic duck or something that was sitting on a fireplace mantle. It had been moved away and was sitting on um, uh, the living room sort of coffee table or something like that or the carpet. They went through all their tapes and there was nothing, nothing on any of these tapes. But when they realized the timing of when the, the, the cameras had stopped to the time that they had opened the door, it was somewhere in that liminal space mm-hmm. when the equipment had just shut off that this ceramic duct seemingly of unseen hands ended up on the coffee table or the floor. Something, it was something like that. It was really weird. And it got me to thinking because there's many, many, many anecdotes. Yes. Same sort of scenario. When people are using cameras to try and catch this, uh, yep. it, it's always cheeky 
as soon as the tapes of, or as soon as the cameras, like Massimo had mentioned before, the cameras put away in the car, uh, or it's lunch break and the scientists are, are are joking about you know the weather or the football game or whatever, and this is when this happens. Mm-hmm. And I think it also has to do with being in a certain state of mind, um, sort of like being in that beta state. Yeah. So you know, like when you you hear these people or they're they're driving on the same route every day to work, it's twilight, it's dawn, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the light's just starting to come. This is when, bam, the UFO hits. Yeah. Um, and it, and people tend to be in that non-alpha state. They're doing something so routine, so mundane. This is, this is some of the knowledge that has been, data that has been gathered by parapsychology over 150 years that unfortunately, until recently, ufology completely ignored. Yeah, and uh, and and vice yeah. versa. The parapsychologists were completely sort of poo-pooing the whole UFO thing because you know these UFO people are kind of they're crazy. Right? <laughs> but now, thankfully, I think that has completely changed, and we're seeing more parapsychologists interested in UFOs. Perhaps vice versa, but I think that along with mainstream academic sort of sciences and the humanities and that taking this sort of broad mm-hmm. sort of multidisciplinary swipe at it and i will throw in the magicians the artists uh the musicians they've got to have their voice in there too because this is a very creative often symbolic uh, content in these experiences that i think also need to really be explored you know more than just what Jung has done, <laughs> uh, I, I think that type of approach, and and that's some of the stuff I'm doing with Massimo as well. Is sort of, you know, he he, I I, I don't want to kind of sound, you know, too egotistical here, <laughs> but I'm going to kind of refer to us as the Young and the Pauli. Although I'm not a genius like Carl Jung, uh, <laughs> Massimo is certainly more towards the Wolfgang Pauli. Mm-hmm. But I think that approach. Um, and what they were beginning as a sort of a new scientific discipline, if I'm being correct here, is the way to sort of start looking towards the UFO problem. Yeah. If we're to even start like getting it by scratching beyond the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. This is why Susan and I talk so no. much. <laughs> <laughs> Be- because I, I totally... Well, thank you. Sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. We're like I said. Don't don't but, apologize for it. I get so enthusiastic, and I just sort of like blah 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 blah. I do the same I, I, thing. I just, I, I'm very passionate. I'm so passionate about the the whole thing, um, that uh, because I I am excited, and I think that um, there's still things that perhaps we can maybe resolve at least uh, in part during my lifetime, and and mm-hmm. I would like to play a part in that, no matter how small. Um, I, I would like to because it's it's been such an important part of my life. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that the, so the, the passion for doing things like that are where uh, breakthroughs are made. It's not made when somebody says, I'm going, mm-hmm. I'm going to discover this big thing and everybody's going to like me and it's going to change everything. It's No, it's people saying, let's look at this part of the problem. And then later mm-hmm. other people look at what they've found and they build upon that and it goes and goes and goes and goes. Um, until you've come to, I don't know about a resolution, but more more of an understanding. And I think that's what I try to do with this show too, is bring people on that are, are contributing to a different understanding or a, um, uh, what voices that aren't heard so much so that more people can say, that's interesting. What, let me see what I can do with that. 
And then we have this wonderful mm-hmm. internet now um, that we're talking on right now through Skype, and people can do this. They can they can um, collaborate from all over the world. I've I've done this in the past. Mm-hmm. I want to continue to do it, and th- this show is part of it. Um, the other, uh, what else was I going to say about what what you were just saying? Um, it. Uh, if people if people go at this with an idea towards more understanding rather than I'm going to figure it out, it seems to mm-hmm. have a little bit better, uh, a little more efficacious result, I guess, or a little more useful result. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of this can't be done with like you know big documentaries and 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 UFO conventions and Hollywood movies and all that. I don't think much of the answer comes out of there. What it comes out of, and what I like and like talking to to you people and. All my all the other people I know and my friends is that um, we we work at the problem almost privately, and when mm-hmm. and when we find we go ah okay or we we have a we have a public discussion, that's where some of that really nice information gets through and and uh, can start to be exchanged with people, and then you get somebody from the sciences like like uh, Massimo or uh, Kevin Knuth who I had on, um, or mm-hmm. um, Dean Radin or something like that. Uh, those people too, their 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 voices when they start looking at this, and and as Massimo said, the uh, the, um, the the criticism they've gotten for doing it shows that to me shows that they're doing something that is important. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, there's plenty of people that say things they get criticism for, and they're they're not very they're not really contributing anything. But if something goes direct to the heart of the the academy, <laughs> um, we have to you know we have to reassess. Uh, somebody says we have to reassess what we're looking at and how we look at the how we look at the world. And here are these un, you know unanswered questions. Um, people that have built their lives on um, a classical view of things don't like that. I mean, it's all in it's all in Thomas Kuhn's book, of course. Um, but uh, I think we're in the middle of that right now. We're we're in the middle of some kind of small scientific revolution. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think the tide is turning. I, I remember uh, Diana Pasulka said that at some point in regards to the, uh, and I thought that was really cool in regards to the ideas of the UFO phenomena, but I'm going to apply that to the scientific world as well. I think the tides are turning uh, and good yeah. because I think there's a greater reality. I think Massimo would agree with me on that, that there is a greater reality and that um, we're going to need more than what is current to try and describe that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I would like to say how I feel. Um, I'm very proud to have um, been an astronomer, to have uh, worked with uh, uh, with my science. To use, I've used telescopes, and uh, I, I support my world. But at this point, after studying a lot of my field in astrophysics, mostly and also fundamental physics, I felt that um, life is short and I would like to know more after having this solid basis. And now, do you know how I feel? I feel like if I took a boat uh, from the um, on, from the comfortable, comfortable, reassuring uh, beach of um, standard science, I took a boat. I left towards an island which I'm not able to see 
with my own eyes because it's beyond the curvature of Earth, but I know it's there. I am in the middle of the ocean and uh, I'm scared. Uh, sometimes I think I could become crazy, <laughs> but I'm going forward. Um, I don't care. I don't care what is the judgment of my colleagues. I don't care the attacks by the believers of any kind. I try to uh, to go uh, to go forward. And I think that uh, even if I will not arrive there, anyway, all the terrain uh, that has been um, uh, taken uh, is not lost. And so, uh, yes, I wanted to tell this to you. No, I think it's a great metaphor. It's uh, intuitively and also probably because somebody have to told you they've been to the island and somebody that lives on the island has probably tried to contact you, <laughs> maybe when you were younger. Um, I hope so. That, oh, uh, yes, it, yes, yes. You don't have to see over the horizon. No, it's, it's there. I've never really heard that analogy. I like that one. Thank you. It's, it's lovely. It mm -hmm. is, isn't it? Thank you. Uh, it's a critical moment because, you know, it's something like the, for a woman to give birth to a, to a child is always uh, painful, you mm -hmm. know. So it's uh, transformative processes are very painful because you are fighting to maintain your solid basis, a uh, rational basis, which is abso absolutely fundamental. Yeah. Uh, and same time, to uh, throw your mind uh, far away like a bird eye that is flying up, uh, trying to see from up more because this life is too precious in terms of thinking, in terms of investigating, then uh, wasting it in uh, sterile uh, um, repetitions of things that have been already done in the past, like for instance, research to uh, study again stars, for instance, in my field that has oh, I've already been studied, but only to refine the knowledge. We don't need humanity doesn't need to refine this because <laughs> uh, humanity doesn't need priests of any kind. Humanity needs quantum leaps, and uh, this uh, demands a lot of courage and pain, suffering and sacrifice. And I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid about that. I'm not afraid. Mm -hmm. I'm typing down what you just said because I want to put it as a quote for the uh, interview. Um, humanity doesn't need priests. It needs quantum leaps. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It's time to, to stop a dogmatism of any kind because priests of any religion, uh, in my opinion, with all my respect for the good faith, good faith of believers in God or so, these religions have blocked our capability to understand our reality and to connect uh, to uh, the uh, a bigger reality in the ontological sense. So. Um, people should uh, find in, in themselves their own spirituality in their own way, like Susan said, uh, using art, uh, using music, uh, um, um, walking in the woods or something. That's, there is God and, um, and not in the religions. 
Mm-hmm. So if they want to burn me or put me on a stake, <laughs> well, uh, let them do. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I agree with you. I think that's why we're talking. Um, it's a uh, it, there. I think the idea of the subjective being uh, important has has uh, taken more prominence, and people have this problem. Uh, I'm sorry, I talk too much in this interview, but if they have this problem with a subjective and an objective, saying that the objective is is the is the is uh, our only anchor the, to the truth, I would argue vehemently against that, because everything that we perceive is subjective to some extent. So I think that um, one person's like you listen to a piece of music. And you get the feeling that the artist wanted to, pr- pr- or look at a piece of, you know, look at a painting or uh, watch a movie or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, you get a piece of what that artist was trying to connect, uh, communicate to you, but you get it in your own way. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. this, this is why Kubrick wouldn't explain, and like David Lynch, people like that, they will not explain what they were doing in their films because that will collapse the 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 uh, the waveform, you know, of of what you might be able to get out of that piece of artwork. Um, yes. And I, th- I think that um, applying this to the, the paranormal and UFO subject, I think is very important. Um, it's not, no, it can't, be, it can't be put in a, a data column, but it can be, it, it does communicate to people on a level that um, where they may not have to have some sort of UFO experience. It's helpful if they do, but if you can get to them on a level where you can get the feeling uh, 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 the transformative nature of you know what sometimes happens to people. If that can be communicated, that can pique their interest, and they could look look at it more uh, intimately and maybe even objectively if they want. But um, yeah, the, the 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 dry part of the object objectivity, at least with the UFO thing, is is uh, to me is uh, only half of the um, the story. And uh, if somebody can have that subjective experience, it it means much more to them. And once you get the meaning in there and the understanding on some deep level, um, then, you know, I think things can move ahead. It doesn't have to be explained to somebody because you can't explain looking at that light that you saw. You can't tell people how you felt. You can, but they, don't, they can't feel exactly what you felt. Um, so there, there, might be, there should be some way to communicate that sense of um, transformation and wonder or whatever you want to call it um, to somebody that hasn't had an experience to let them know that this is a... Um, real and important, um, as yeah. uh, the cosmo, the Russian cosmos said. I want to change the name of the the show. Almost um, their 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 uh, idea was: it exists. What do we do about it? I think that's a very important statement. Absolutely, uh, you remind me a lot of the um, uh, how to say their work that was done between uh, Wolfgang Pauli, a Nobel Prize uh, for Physics, and Carl Jung. Uh, the great analytical psychologist today wanted uh, to uh, try to unite the subjective uh, with the objective to make a new science which was called uh, qualitatively not quantitatively yet uh, psychophysics mm-hmm. and they were starting to discuss about that and strangely everything started from the mm, mm, so-called uh, mechanism of the so-called synchronicities that uh, Carl Jung was uh, was studying and uh, which were affecting a lot the sensitivity of uh, 
um, Wolfgang Pauli, because Wolfgang Pauli was a victim of these kind of synchronicities, <laughs> and they wanted to understand himself. He knew uh, everything about the quantum world, and he won a Nobel Prize about that, but he wanted to go beyond all of that, and he thought that there is another universe inside us which uh, connects with the objective world. So there, he thought that there is a continuum between the subjective and the objective. It's something ontological that uh, regards all the universe. And our um, way of conceiving the universe evidently is, uh, is wrong because our society is ill. And this is uh, alarm uh, bell that is telling we have to try to go much deeper inside ourselves and to have more respect for the inner part, uh, which if we knew better, it might help us to know better the outside part. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I feel to write. today I'm feeling poetic, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not feeling scientific. Well, I, I pulled you why. in that direction. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. But anyway, I would have gone there anyway because I'm tired of the to make the part of the you know the trombone coming from the academia or something. <laughs> I feel to. Uh, of course, I have respect for all my colleagues. Uh, uh, really, yeah. Uh, even for the skepticals, absolutely, because I come from them. I as well. I belong to. Uh, I know. I come from them, and I didn't uh, deny. I don't deny some of the aspects of the skepticism, absolutely. But I think, with my own head, I don't belong to um, sheep uh, flocks or something. And I'm happy <laughs> so, and I'm very happy. I have known uh, Susan in this uh, with this new adventure of life and of, uh, of scholar studies. I don't know where we will go but uh, uh, well I I think that uh, there is a plan and um, we will tell you hopefully uh, in the next years okay well then yeah, we'll... And I, I also I also want to just interject in in regards to a um, couple of couple of things that I quickly thought of because when you were mentioning about the subjectiveness of the experience and the and and witnesses and I think it's important that we honor um, the the witness and how they perceive things, no matter what the mechanism is. Uh, and this is where we're what Massimo had mentioned about priests. We also don't need UFO priests, people who uh, may be investigators or uh, you know uh, self entitled gurus or whatever that are telling people yeah, exactly. exactly what they experienced. Because we have to let people express themselves. Yeah. Uh, without our judgments and without our bias mm -hmm. as to what they experienced. And and aside from that, I also wanted to just mention, because we we were talking about our life together, <laughs> sort of the work that, that Massimo and I would like to accomplish both on our own and, and together um, is we're not always doing this. We're not always living in the UFO world. <laughs> I think it's important. Oh, no, no, to, you can't. That's what Massimo said about making, making yeah, you crazy. No. If you live in it all the time, there's a good chance you're going to become a little bit uh, addled. <laughs> Well, I think that's a thing. I think you have to be willing to fall into the madness, at least for some time. But at the <laughs> same point, you have to 
firmly keep at least one toehold into the physical reality. That's Absolutely. an truth as well as a, a truth as for chasing this sort of uh, whatever it is that this phenomena is. Um, that I mean, like you know, we we do a lot of other things that are not UFO related. Uh, so I just I don't want to give the impression that that's all we're constantly doing in our houses is UFO stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we cook things, mm. right? Music. Like, we talked I, about I, Massimo's I, music I, last time. Well, there's Massimo's music. There's there's like you know we we like I introduced Massimo to the concept of of bacon and maple syrup. Oh, wonderful! Wonderful. Like he thought that was totally weird and bizarre, and I was like, no, no. So I'm Canadian, right? You gotta have your gotta have that bacon with the maple syrup. Yeah, it, it works. Uh, but it works. <laughs> it's, it's not the same thing as uh, putting a pineapple on a pizza, for instance. No. That's, I think, that they wouldn't understand at all. But uh, bacon <laughs> with with um, maple syrup and uh, all the rest, and it works absolutely. I like. I learned a lot of things from uh, here. I smuggle so cans of maple syrup. Every time I go to uh, Canada, I smuggle back like six or eight cans. It looks like I'm some kind of a maple. I think I'm a maple syrup smuggler. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I mean, we were hanging out. Like, I think it was the last time you we were there and, and we hung out for a bit in Toronto. And you, we, we I think you grabbed like eight, eight cans or something of <laughs> maple syrup. Yeah. No. And thank God you can get it here in Italy too. My goodness. You know, you, you can take the girl out of Canada, but you can't take the Canadian, you know, <laughs> completely. Okay, I need my maple syrup fix. <laughs> yeah, well, if you make food so. at home, you should start doing um, uh, Canadian-Italian fusion, I think. Let's see what can come out of that. I was thinking of making some sort of, like, an Italian poutine. You know what poutine oh, is, Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like yeah. A, yeah. Or yeah, as yeah, people yeah. say, poutine so or poutine or what, yeah. No, <laughs> No, it's Putin. It's yeah. Putin. It's I've heard all kinds back, of different. Yeah. But, uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it could be Putin. This is it's Canada's national food, so I'm thinking of trying some sort of a hybrid. Oh, yeah, you should. I've had I lobster poutine. That's amazing. So yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. That's like maritime. You must have had that in Nova Scotia. Yep, Nova Scotia. You have that yeah. Nova Scotia. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, think no, they'd, don't think they'd really serve that so in Quebec. You, or, put, you can put lobster on pizza. Oh, like, I haven't I tried that. Yeah, you like a maritime, like a Newfie, a Newfoundlander pizza. Yeah. You just like, you know, <laughs> you put on there. Chopino pizza, <laughs> seafood pizza, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why not? <laughs> <laughs> Maximo's eyes are rolling, I'm sure. <laughs> what are you talking about? A bit. <laughs> you gotta no, I'm put- thinking about lo- a, a giant lobster now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, to catch it uh, because here it's very difficult. Uh, they're very expensive. Uh, we don't we we fish them, but um, they are much more rare and much more expensive. I, I ate them all in France and um, together with the giant uh, scallops. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are also very good, which I ate in uh, San Francisco, for instance, yep. in Ohio. You have wonderful fish, really, in um, in um, in America. 
And um, I missed the United States, uh, really. I went uh, twice, I saw three states. It was uh, California, Arizona, and Ohio. I miss, I miss very much your beautiful nature. And um, I hope to come, to come back again one, one day. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. And when, when you come back, um, one, we ought to do a road trip. And two, um, Massimo wanted to go paragliding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, why not? <laughs> I, I like to fly. I like to fly. Please, you please remote control my flight <laughs> uh, from 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 ground, <laughs> and then maybe I will learn something. The remaining neurons maybe would be able to to be make me autonomous in the flight. But anyway, please remotely con. Imagine that I am something like a drone, a human drone or so, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, by, by the way, we we wait for you soon here to come. We would like to show you some places that probably will trigger your interest. Uh, a very spiritual place mm-hmm. um, in beautiful nature, where I think that this discussion could become much more, um, how to say, bright. Uh, they were bright, but uh, staying all together physically could be trigger a lot and we look forward to see you oh, and yes. your wife yes i look very much forward to that too i think we're coming in april or may i can't remember exactly when the month it was we were going to yeah. go to turkey for a while and now it looks like we might not go there <laughs> be careful be careful be careful Maybe it's better you wait that uh, the the idiot is uh, taken out. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think I that's mean, a good idea. It's probably better just to come to Italy and stay there for two weeks and uh, bother you. <laughs> well, we have lots of interesting places in Italy that we can show you as well that um, are traditional places of light phenomena and where light phenomena is occurring mm-hmm. currently. And I'll buy a big so, side of Culatello to take back to... Uh, United States. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, I can't get it yeah. here. And if you can, it's really, really expensive. I think there's one, one restaurant that has it. Um, so. Wow. Yeah. In Los Angeles so, so far. And then see, we have to go there and hang out in LA with you and uh, we can go to get Trejo's tacos. Cause I need one of those tacos in my life. Okay, I haven't tried there yet. I've, I I go to my, my the taco stands that I go to. I haven't tried that yet. It's it's about two miles from me. <laughs> Actually, it's very yeah, close. yeah. I, I was there in um, I think it was soon after it opened. The one in Hollywood it yeah. was November. It was in 2016, and it was like 11 o'clock at night, and Trey House Tacos was open. I was so excited. So we just walked through Hollywood. Oh, was and, that uh, the one on um, Highland? I mean, I'm sorry, on um, Coenga. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's right in Hollywood, or it's just like in that that area. You know what? That's so right across the, sec- the street from is where Bill Moore's office was for about 20 years. <laughs> oh wow! I used to visit him there. I did that time that's so cool. <laughs> oh god! And uh, I had to come back to. Yeah, you have you go, you both have to come back. Um, now, now we're just talking about stuff we want to talk about, so maybe we we'll stop the interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can we can still go on with the interview if you want. You can okay. Just, well, no, but the, the thing what, the thing was that what what Massimo was talking about 
um, it seemed like a good place to end it because he was talking about so, sort of um, a universal, uh, at least human universal uh, ideas about uh, how, why this is important to us and what it could do if um, uh, our minds were changed about some greater view of uh, reality. And I thought that was a good spot to stop. However, the other thing you wanted to talk about was the Streber interview. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Do you want to do you want you, do you want to discuss it a little bit before we stop? Do you want to discuss it, Massimo, a little bit, Streber? Well, uh, um, you you do that, then uh, in case I intervene, yeah, about that. Yes, I am fascinated by Streber. I rediscovered him after reading Communion and his other book. And I realized how this man has uh, um, has had a personal growth that is really very deep mm-hmm. and uh, much deeper than I thought. Uh, I cannot comment more than that, but I, I have in my mind uh, his descriptions of these of these aliens and and uh, he the, the role of his wife that seems so fundamental in his uh, in personal growth. And the, the the role of the extraterrestrials who look uh, really very much not people coming from other planets, but coming from from another dimension, which has to do with the after death. That that was another factor that uh, hit impressed me very much. I have not much to comment. I only say I love uh, to listen him and uh, to him. And he is very able to express his own experience and in a very sincere way, very communicative way. And yes, this is what I think comes to my mind now. And I would like to listen to him again. So if you interview him again, I will be happy to listen. Okay, yeah, we said it It got cut a little short because he thought it was supposed to be uh, an hour. And for some reason, I thought I told him to. And the other thing was he said that he wanted to get back to editing on his book. Um, that's, I think, he says in about a week or two, he's going to have it ready to go to the publisher, whoever that might be. Um, so that's another why, reason why he cut it short. Um, so I, I've asked him and he, sa- he said, yeah, at some point, probably after the book's released, he'll come back and we'll talk about it. Um, and I felt lucky to have mm-hmm. him on the show because I've been reading his book since the first, since Communion came out. And to me, that was a that that was a very input. That was a watershed. And of course, he didn't know it when he when he wrote it. And his wife probably didn't either. What the effect that, that it would have. And uh, for my part, when people say, "Well, why do you believe these stories? Why do you, do, you know, why are you why do you trust him?" I said, "One, because like Massimo said, he's sincere. I think he is sincere." Um, there's a point you get to in this where you realize when somebody's sincere or when they're messing messing with you or with themselves. Um, and you can tell that fairly quickly, but for Streber, I don't think whatever you think about, you know, his mental state about what he's been doing and what he's been experiencing. I don't think like Travis Walton, I don't think he's lying about it. Um, that, that's a, that's a very, that, that's a very crude word for, to, 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 to throw at what his experience is to me. And the other thing I think about Streber is, um, uh, criticizing the way he told his story to me is like criticizing why, you know, Mark Rothko would, would choose a color in one of his paintings. It's, it's not, it's, it's, it's in a different, you know, it's, it's somewhere between fiction and nonfiction, but more, I guess, um, um, 
psychological, spiritual, I don't know what you want to call it. But it's not it's a not hyper reality. Yeah, exactly. It's a different hyper reality. It's a hyper reality. And he's exploring it and bringing us back, you know, his, you know, it's like, you know, he's showing us his travel logs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe we can't experience it, but there's a value in listening to his experiences. They, 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 they transmit something that, an intangible, maybe I was talking about a few minutes ago. He's a cosmic shaman, really. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what he, he says, I mean, some, I'm sure you can take literally other things is much more symbolic. And mm-hmm. it's it's almost like you said, like when we're watching a film, like a David Lynch film, you know, or a Kubrick film, it's sort of like it's what we're taking from what he is trying to impart to us. Yeah. So we're also adding our interpretations into it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more deeper than just someone relating, oh, you know, what I had for lunch today. This is something <laughs> far richer and greater than that. So, I mean, I really appreciated it. And I am appreciating the evolution of Whitley Strieber mm-hmm. and what I'm taking from what he has to impart. So I think that's why I kind of tweaked you out to say, hey, let's discuss a little bit the interview and and I'm looking forward to it. If you can have him back on the show to listen to more of your discussion with Whitley would be amazing to me. Yeah. And I I also, you know, if you, if uh, you two or anybody else I know, um, I'll probably solicit questions from them so I can clue them like I uh, did with uh, Jeff Kripal. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I, sometimes I like the perspective of uh, other people or friends or even listeners uh, to uh, contribute. So, uh, maybe next one will be, you know, <laughs> a Whitley Strieber asked me anything, but curated by me. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens. I mean, cause I, I had, uh, like a lot of these interviews on, on this show, I have, I have a list of things, questions, things I wanted to talk about. And we got to three of the questions, but I don't care because it's a conversation. And I think that's where letting the thing flow naturally is where, um, you get things like what happened with uh, Alan Stevelman. He talked about things in the film that I don't think he was really planning on talking about. And that, to me, that's very valuable because it gives you a perspective on whatever whoever is on the show, whatever their work is. If I can get them talking about something else or about food or about their motivations or what sports team they like or whatever, there's a value there in, in, the, in the conversation because one, you get to know the person better. And two... Um, they may say something they didn't expect to say, which enriched uh, makes the con- conversation uh, more uh, makes it richer and and more, at least more enjoyable to me and hopefully to people that are listening. Hence, yeah, for he- sure. Hence the talk about food. Thank you both so much. Well, thank you. Thank you to you all from too uh, for good questions and reasoning. I like this uh, this way. It's a conversation. It's not a mechanical interview. So I, it's very motivating to answer. It's like to to drink tea together, or better, to drink a beer together. I would yeah. say, yeah, uh, whiskey. <laughs> and uh, I like that. Uh, thank you very much, Greg. Uh, let's see. You've both been on the show. Do you want to both together vote on something, or is a uh, for for the for the end song. Last time I think I played one. Oh, you know what, Massimo? You asked me to play something from um, Tangerine Dream, which I did. Um, 
Do you, do you yes, have? May I? Yeah, I have it. I, I am putting it on the chart. It's a Rubicon. It's one of the oldest one, which is very alienish. I think it's an old piece, but it's super, super creepy. And I think <laughs> oh, good for uh, Halloween. It's very yes, good for Halloween and, and pertinent uh, to the talk that we all had in my opinion but it's only my taste of course but maybe it can create if you put headphones it seems to be on another planet or somewhere so what's the title you said rubicon it's a tangerine green rubicon that's kind of like what we were doing like Malsimo said we're kind of crossing the rubicon here so to speak the mm -hmm. proverbial rubicon but mm -hmm. The, the piece is 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 very sort of otherworldly, um, Magonian. Um, definitely put on headphones and see where the piece takes you. Thank you so much, and I'll see you guys Thank in, you you. in a few months. And so, ciao to you. Okay. Ciao. Uh, All right. Ciao. Thank you very much.